In this same season, we also begin to see the emergence of race-based science, the continuation of race-based science, and its um, dissemination in medical schools. Right? So by 1900, the anatomical theater is now no, no longer in use, and the University of Virginia has built its first uh, hospital. Right? So the first hospital is, is being built, and it's just beyond this complex over in this district. Um, UVA's early uh, medical education by the early 20th century is based on uh, suppositions of racial science that would evolve into what we now refer to as eugenics. The University of Virginia is a, um, warmly embraces the race-based science of eugenics, and it is taught in our medical school for the, uh, all the early decades of its operation in the early 20th century. To the extent that, I'm going to read a few quotes, to the extent that uh, two of our uh, early medical professors, both of whom are leaders of the university, Paul Berenger is, one of, is elected by the faculty. UVA doesn't have a president in these seasons, and so the faculty just elect a sort of faculty chairman. Uh, Paul Berenger is elected as the uh, faculty chairman of, the, of UVA in the early 20th century. In 1900, he publishes a volume called, a, a book called The American Negro, His Past and Future. And in that volume, this UVA professor writes, I will show from the study of his racial history that his late tendency to return to barbarism, and by that he's talking about African Americans, his late tendency to return to barbarism is as natural as the return of the sow that is washed to her wallowing in the mire. I will show that the ages of degradation under which he was formed and the 50 centuries of historically recorded savagery with which he has came to us cannot be permanently influenced by one or two centuries of enforced correction. And so in this telling, Paul Berenger is saying that slavery, and this is commonplace in this period, slavery was in fact a historical good because it was a civilizing force on savages. So that's the framework around race that's being taught across the University of Virginia and especially in our medical school. Ivy Lewis, another educator at UVA, would also later write, the mixing of whites and blacks was the chief cause of the fall of the civilizations of Rome, Greece, Egypt, and India. So not only was slavery, in fact, a historical good because it was a civilizing force, racial mixing is incomprehensible because racial mixing re results ultimately in what he would refer to as the laxness of morals. This ties directly moral fortitude, intellectual capacity, and black DNA, right? This is presumed to be consistent in the early 20th century. So eugenics is being taught at the medical school. It is a presupposed uh, condition of educational training for medical science at UVA uh, through the opening decades and probably into the 50s and 60s um, among some faculty here at the University of Virginia. And so that's an intellectual and educational precondition. We have intense race, racial tension across the United States in the, te in the te late teens and early 20s. And that actually would result in 1924 in the passing of two acts. 
1924, the state of Virginia passes the Racial Integrity Act, which has at its core this phrase, the one-drop rule. It legally defines whiteness, and it legally defines blackness, right? Any racial mixing, because of the laxness of morals, that interracial engagement results, not even just, uh, not even marriages, just interracial mixing results in, in the laxness of morals. Therefore, segregation is essential for the success of our democracy. In ways that slavery was a good for the savages coming from Africa. These are all consistent thoughts. Right? It's very hard for us to access that framework. It should be very hard for us to access that framework. But this is commonplace language in the early 20th century. The second act that would be passed is what's called the Eugenical Sterilization Act. So based on the uh, sup supposed truth of eugenics, those individuals that had moral, structural, uh, intellectual shortcomings should not be allowed to reproduce. And so they were sterilized, resulting in, over the course of about 50 years, 7,000 sterilizations in the state of Virginia. So in 1924, we see both the Racial Integrity Act, presupposing the rightness and the goodness of segregation for the protection of white integrity, and the Sterilization Act, which actually works to sterilize those individuals who do not conform to certain presupposed expectations on, a, on benchmarks of a racial hierarchy. So, when a white general on a horse is represented in that particular context, in a direct confront to Native Americans who are just as racially otherized as are African Americans, here at the University of Virginia, where having passed this monument, the first building you would see would be the, the medical school. The spatial proximity between this monument and the medical school is, I think, not an accident. And at the moment of that unveiling, what does the student newspaper declare? The futility of resistance. Of course resistance is futile, because whiteness is superior. And if you presume to take our jobs, we'll burn your neighborhoods. And we'll displace you, even though you fought for our country. We're going to demonstrate in our classrooms that you are morally and physically inferior. And we'll teach that for 50 years. And if that doesn't fail, or if that fails, then we'll pass legislation, which ensures separation between yourself and myself. And so the installation of this monument reminds us that the marking of our landscape is not always about in, uh, the subjectivity of a work of art. The subject here, the subject is George Rogers Clark. But who's the object? George Rogers Clark is part and parcel 
of a social, political, military, intellectual, racialized landscape of oppression, reminding everybody that would pass by this road of the futility of resistance of white supremacy. This is a monument of white supremacy. And that's particularly acute when we realize that all of the individuals who are cleaning the floors of the University of Virginia and sweeping up the uh, laboratory spaces of the hospital, they're all living in neighborhoods immediately adjacent on the other side of this road, right? By the early 20th century, they're living in the 10th and Page neighborhood, Fifeville, where many African-Americans still live and still work in those spaces today. They're ascending up to the high road of, of High Street. They're walking along High Street to come to work. And they're pass by, passing by this every single day. It's a visible reminder of white authority, white supremacy, and the futility of resistance.